Hi, everyone, and welcome to Gay A, a podcast about sobriety for the LGBT plus community and our allies. I'm your host, Steve Bennett Martin. I am an alcoholic, and I am grateful for my husband's full and new moon ceremonies. As of this recording, I am 270 days sober, and today we're welcoming a guest to share their experience, wisdom, and hope with you. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Hi. And can you start off by introducing yourself to the listeners? Absolutely. So my name is Sarah, and I am a recovering addict. I just celebrated 16 years in January. Congratulations. That is huge. What an inspiration. My pronouns are she, her, and I identify as queer. Perfect. And to get to know you better, can you start off with telling us a little bit about what your journey with alcohol and addiction was like? Absolutely. For me, that started really at quite a young age. I remember my dad would make uh, beer. So he brewed beer in his home and he would give me the bottom dregs, right? (laughs) And I was three years old. We went to a picnic and I was crying for his beer. That kind of didn't go over very well at my mom's company work. But I think that's like the very first time I really started like associating fun with alcohol. And at three years old, right, I didn't really know where I wasn't really abusing alcohol, but I started getting that taste for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And by the time I was like 13, I really had started to fall into the, the trap, right? I started to drink, I started to drug. And at that point, there were some bad scenes, right? So like, I was coming into like my own terms of like who I was as a person, what my sexuality was and what that was going to look like. And every time I like try to open that door with anybody, I was immediately rejected. Bullying was like a huge part of my story. So the very best solution to being bullied for me was to like pick up a drink of alcohol, liquid courage. I remember eighth grade, I'm sitting around and I get like kicked out of this party because I'm raiding their liquor cabinets and we're all going out behind the, in the forest in the back with the boulders. And we're out, out like drinking vodka in eighth grade. So that kind of started the process for me where I was like, okay, alcohol is the solution, (laughs) which it worked really well for a while. Right. So like I went to high school and like in high school, I came out and I was like, all right, I, I have a girlfriend and I'm going to date this girl. And then immediately I get like shut down. Right. I'm bullied so badly that I can't even go to school and I'm feeling suicidal and all these things are happening in my life. And I'm in therapy and I'm seeing a psychiatrist and like, my parents are really worried about me being suicidal and all these other things are coming out when I'm in high school and it can all really be tied back to this like disclosure of my genuine self. So I learned as a teenager, like the genuine me wasn't actually good enough. And so as I like progress through life and I'm wanting to like be happy in the world who I was, was rejected. So alcohol became the solution to that too. And I spent a lot of time like trying to like suppress who I was sexually, right? My sexuality in the nineties, late nineties, like nobody was queer. (laughs) Queer was a derogatory term at that time. So it was like, okay, what does that even mean? What does that look like? And so I spent 
a decade repressing that, right? I am not this. I'm not this. I'm not this. And I spent like the same amount of time trying to drink myself away. And the like further I got into my addiction, the more trauma I accumulated, right? So I like always tell people, yeah, you say you don't have trauma, but then you come in and we're talking and you're an addict or you're an alcoholic. And that in itself is traumatic, right? Yeah. And I think like, especially for individuals who are LGBTQ plus is that our experience as an alcoholic or an addict is like even more traumatic than the regular individual, regular, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's compounded by the fact that we spend all this time, like hiding exactly who we are. And so like a lot of time went by, even after I got sober, right? So I got sober at 21 and for the exception of one day, I have stayed sober ever. And even when I came into the rooms and I was sober in the rooms, I still faced that fear and that rejection around being myself. And people were like, you're not bisexual or you're, you can't be interested in women. It's, you know, the pick with one side or stop hogging all the people or <laughs> not hogging all the people, but okay. And so like, even, even in recovery, I faced a lot of the stigma that made me afraid to be my authentic self. And it's been like the past few years where I've really started to like embrace it. And I feel like the past few years in the recovery realm, it's been this like revolution of people just becoming more accepting house that I live in Denver, but it's also like this ideal of like, we're, we're now the easier, softer way to go because recovery is the easier, softer way. And it's not fair for me to come into the rooms and be rejected in the rooms, right? To be stigmatized. So it's really like one of those places where I've come in and I've like become an advocate or an ally in itself because really just a 12-step meeting is supposed to be home. Right. And so like as a person who is a sexual minority coming into a 12 step meeting and being rejected is probably the worst possible feelings that we can have. So instead of being rejecting of people who come in and they don't know who they are, because who really like knows their genuine, authentic self when they're early in recovery anyway, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like 16 years in, I'm like, I don't know. But I've worked all the steps, so that's really helped a lot as far as like, how do I know who I am and where do I want to go in the future? So that's been like a really cool experience for me. I've lived more of my life in recovery than I lived in my use. And so today, like I get to see a lot of newcomers come in and be going through like gender affirming surgeries, gender transformation coming in and being like, I want to come out to someone and I get to support them in that process too. I do happen to work in the recovery industry. So that helps a lot with like really being and speaking up about the passion for the community. But yeah, recovery has been this amazing journey where I get to learn how to heal from like all the years of self-rejection and other rejection. And that's been a really long process. I don't think I'm at the end yet. <laughs> yeah. And I, I can certainly see how, you know, 
you'll be amazed before you're halfway through, but at the same time, we're not halfway there ever, it seems. But having gotten sober, you know, so young relatively compared to so many of us others as we come into the room, you know, having 16 years under your belt, but like you mentioned, having the past four years be kind of a big change. What, what do you think has changed in the past four years compared to your first 12 years in the room? I think mostly my acceptance of myself. Mm-hmm. Doing my own personal therapy work has really been instrumental for that. Like getting more involved in the community. I think that was really a big one for me. I actually started uh, volunteering at the center about four years ago. Uh, COVID kind of shut that down for me. But uh, yeah, just like volunteering and getting into the early recovery world and really becoming part of that community has been so, so helpful for me. You know, when you spend a lot of years rejecting yourself, like the healing is in the rejection. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us more about what you do in the recovery world? Sure. So I am the chief clinical officer of a drug and alcohol and mental health treatment facility. Mm -hmm. So we get a lot of folks in right off the street getting sober and clean. We actually are really working closely with the Center on Colfax, which is our best ally for the LGBTQ plus community. They have a lot of resources. So we've kind of like specialized in treating LGBTQ plus individuals. And that's been a really great experience for me, kind of like going back to that full circle. How do I give back what was freely given to me and how do I give back that like internal evolution that I had. So I love it. Yeah. And what would you say is like one piece of advice you typically give to people as they are entering in or are sober curious? Sober curious. One piece of really great advice is to don't hide any of any of yourself while you're here. Mm -hmm. Utilize the whole experience, right? I think a lot of people come into early sobriety and they're like, oh, if I tell you everything, you'll reject me. It's the opposite here. Come in, be you, be who you are, and we'll actually show you how to love yourself until you do. Yeah, that's beautiful. And being that you've spent the majority of your adult life, you know, sober, what would you say some of the positive changes in your life, like being sober have been compared to when you were in your active addiction? Well, I remember my life now. (laughs) (laughs) There's, there's quite a few, you know, I dropped out of high school and then I had to go back and make up extra hours and credits and that took a lot of work. I dropped out of college. And so then it took me eight hours, eight years, eight hours. That would be nice. (laughs) Eight years to graduate with my undergraduate degree. And then when I got sober, I went to grad school and I finished in three years, which is like the normal amount of time. Mm -hmm. And every relationship I've had in my life, I've been able to remember that and engage in it in a positive way. And when I had my oldest child came out to me and I was like, that's great. Let's go march in the parade together. We'll be so wonderful. (laughs) It's about creating that space. And I feel so much pride in the fact that not just in that one area of my life, but in other areas too, where people are like, I'm feeling suicidal, Sarah. And my friends will reach out to me feeling suicidal because I'm not a safe place to go. 
And so in my youth, I would never, ever have those resources internally. I could never support somebody emotionally. I couldn't show up to even like change the oil in my car, let alone be a friend to someone. Yeah. And if you could give a piece of advice to that past self, Sarah, when she was a teenager, well, like what kind of, what advice would you, or what would you tell yourself at that time? That's a good question. Can I curse on this thing? Yeah. I always say, fuck. Yeah, you can. <laughs> okay. Well, I never know. Fuck the haters. Yeah. <laughs> right. Fuck the haters. Be you. Mm-hmm. If you want to wear flannel and corduroy, wear flannel and corduroy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. really just uh self-acceptance is the key yeah and with that i mean i know we talked about how you you know your queerness played a role in your addiction how has it been playing a role in your recovery and the work that you're doing i think there will never be a person as compassionate as myself mm-hmm. that's probably a lie okay i'm really that was ego-based but <laughs> <laughs> I am an incredibly compassionate and caring individual. My experiences with who I am and who I identify as and being queer have evolved a lot. And I would not have been able to have the compassion or care or even like emotional sobriety that I do without those experiences. Mm -hmm. I understand that. And we met through Instagram where you are recovering out loud. What's been your experience sharing your story so openly, not just, you know, with people in your personal life, but just even online? I have never had any negative experience about sharing my story. Mm -hmm. It's always been, and this is what I love to say to early recovering people. Everybody loves a comeback story, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, your story when you're using might really suck. There might be a lot in it and a lot to unpack, but everybody loves a comeback story. And when people are going off like on why is Narcan free? I love answering that question. You know, I am a recovering opiate addict. If, you know, Narcan could have saved my life. And now here we are 16 laters and I'm carrying a message of experience, strength, and hope. So to say that a a junkie or an addict has no value is to discount all of their potential. So it's really important to recover out loud. That's why I connected with you too. Yeah. It's like, I love it. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. And I'm loving this. I mean, what are some things that you do in your daily life to help keep yourself sober? Well, every day involves meditation. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I just might lose it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a daily practice. You know, recovery is not like a one and done thing. It's the 10th step. It's the meditation. It's the meeting attendance. It's connecting with another person in recovery. I guarantee you a day does not go by that I don't talk to someone else in long-term recovery. Mm-hmm. And also newcomers, but the value is in the connection. Yeah, it certainly is. And as people in recovery, we generally love our steps, traditions, and sayings. Do you have a favorite mantra or quote that you like to try and live by? Man, 
there's so many, but yeah. you know, I think it works if you work it's a really good one. Let go and let God. That's always a good one. But I think, yeah, it works if you work it. It really, if you don't do the work, if I don't do the work on a daily basis, then I don't get a daily reprieve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the idea of working, it seemed very overwhelming when I first came in. So, you know, as I'm getting through, though, I'm noticing the more work I put into my sobriety, the more I'm getting out of it. Oh, absolutely. And it seems like a lot at first, you're like, there's 12 of these things and I have to write about them and read a whole book. And, but it's really just like, wow, today I didn't drink. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's all I get from the day. (laughs) All right. Today I almost got another 24. (laughs) That's good. Yep. Celebrate the small victories. Excellent. And do you have any other last bits of closing words of wisdom for our listeners? Sure. Yeah, definitely. I think in our daily lives, it gets really easy to be overwhelmed and fearful and start that future tripping part where it's like, what place do I have in the world? And the biggest characteristic in my own disease is loneliness and differentness. I think like the biggest part about being LGBTQ plus is that we automatically come into the world feeling different. Mm -hmm. Right. And we always say like a heterosexual individual never has to come out. You never have to go to your mom and say, okay, mom, I'm heterosexual. Yeah. Uh, You would know, should know, but we start the world feeling different. So when we get into recovery, we feel different. We feel alone and that's super normal and natural. And just reaching out and making that connection is made it has made all the difference for me. Yes. And if someone was interested in connecting with you or finding you online, how would they do that? That's a great question. I am Sarah Zubrin on Instagram. I think I'm the only one. It's pretty easy to find me. If you Google me, my website comes up. Some pictures might come up, but I'm also on Facebook, LinkedIn. I don't do Twitter. Excellent. Well, I'll make sure I link over all of that in the show notes so that people can just scroll up from here and find you and click on over. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you listeners for tuning into another episode of Gay A. Please make sure you rate and review if you found this information helpful. If you're interested in sharing your story, like Sarah here, getting involved with the show or just saying hi, you can always email me at gayapodcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us wherever you're listening right now so you get new episodes when they come out every Monday and Thursday. And until next time, stay sober, friends.